You're here with Marcus Garrett, one half of the Dolset Brothers from Paychecks and Balances, and I'm on Chasing Dreams with Amy J. Welcome to Chasing Dreams Podcast with Amy J. Amy believes that realizing a life without regrets is achieved by taking chances, chasing your dreams, making moves, and overcoming your doubts. The Chasing Dreams Podcast will help you overcome life's obstacles, believe in your potential, and inspire you to face your fears. And now here's the woman who is passionately pursuing her dreams, Amy J. Chasers, this is Amy J, and thank you so much for tuning in to episode 129 of Chasing Dreams. It's 2018, big stuff is happening. Before I get too far, this episode is sponsored by our lovely patrons over at Patreon. We've just begun a Patreon campaign. If you're not familiar with it, you guys will get more information at the end of the episode. But thanks to all of you for supporting my mission to inspire, equip, and empower people to chase their dreams. We couldn't do it without your help, and I am so grateful. You can find all of our supporters over at amyj21.com slash supporters. In honor and recognition of our continued look at Black History Month, I have an amazing dream chaser again for you guys today. Just like our previous one, he is doing some amazing things and has a great story I wanted to share with you. Please welcome Marcus Garrett. Born and raised in the great state of Texas, Marcus obtained a Bachelor of Arts in Business Administration after surviving the mean streets of the inner suburbs. A decade of professional experience as a certified internal auditor, combined with freelance writing on topics ranging from current events to love and relationships, helped Marcus develop a unique qualitative and quantitative writing style. His book and website, DebtFreeOrDieTrying.com, keeps readers entertained with the cautionary tales and helpful tips for living a debt-free life. He has a mission statement that I want to share with you guys because it's very powerful and and I love what it is. To make a difference in the lives of others by helping people develop sustainable plans for staying out of or getting out of debt. And I'm sure a number of you guys, I know myself, can get with that mission Marcus, thank you so much for taking a moment out of that mission to kind of talk with us, and we'll probably touch upon your mission anyway. Uh, Welcome to the show. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. So you have an interesting story. You post one half of the co-host of Paychecks and Balances. Correct. Which is an interesting topic and title. And I'm looking at it, I'm thinking, uh, how? I'm thinking more on the, how do I balance my paycheck? And you wrote a book, Debt Free or Die Trying, How I Buried Myself in $30,000 in Debt and Dug My Way Out by Age 30. OMG, what? So uh, I think the story that people like the most, and I talk about in the book, and I'll actually get it to you for the show notes, I wrote a blog for Very Smart Brothers called How I Buried Myself or How I Spent $26,000 in a Weekend. So 
90% of the debt that I had came in a 72 hour period. Um, and to the best of my knowledge, I haven't, you know, reached out to the Guinness book of world records or anything like that, but nobody has topped that yet. I'm sure other people have spent more money than that, like on the celebrity stage, but no one in the circles that I've run in has been able to spend more than $26,000. And one may- maybe not in the circles of those listening to the show <laughs> that too went through my head was, is that a Guinness record? Yeah, it, I mean, it's, and it's by no no means something to brag about. I'm actually, uh, I don't want to say shame is uh, the word, but that one weekend of experience and what I talk about in the book took me seven years to pay off. And I think what happened, actually, I know what happened is my, my story, is I had, I just had this detached recognition of money. Like money was just something that happened around me. Uh, I actually didn't put a budget together till I was 27. I graduated at 22. So <laughs> that is 27 years of life on earth where I money was to me just something that came in and went out. And I didn't have any plan. I didn't have any ideas. And uh, to give some context to that weekend, what took place was I graduated with $9,000 in debt. And I got what I didn't even know what it was at the time. I got a, an offer for a consolidation loan. And I jokingly talk about this now because I was graduating to like the new debt vehicle. So they're like, those credit cards, we can do better than that. (laughs) And they um, they mailed me a consolidation. I I thought it would happen electronically. I don't know why, but they mailed me a check in the mail. And and this is how old I am. They mailed it to me. They literally did mail it to me. And I don't know what I demonstrated in my years of responsibility that I racked up $9,000 in debt on three credit cards that made them think that I would be responsible to get what is essentially a blank check to me in the mail. So I'm sitting there uh, with my girlfriend at the time holding what is to me a winning lottery ticket. And I'm like, well, I could pay off those credit cards or. (laughs) Oh, no, you didn't. Yeah. And I I think y'all know how that or went. And I mean, so some people are like blown away. There's probably some people fainting on this show right now. Thank you for joining us again now that you've woken back up. But to me, whether you spend $26,000 in one weekend or you have on average uh, it's like $36,000 in debt as a graduate student uh, or excuse me, as a bachelor student, it doesn't really to me matter where the debt comes from. You got a $100,000 home or a $2,000 home, $200,000 home debt accumulates, the speed of which it accumulates is less important than the fact that it exists. Uh, So kind of keep that context in mind. And what I did was I went out, well, first of all, I went on a lot of shopping sprees. I'll just be frank. I bought a lot of things. Uh, I drink a lot of things as well. And uh, so from what I remember of the the weekend, it was great. It was like the best. (laughs) And I I tell people that it was the best weekend of my life. I actually have not had a weekend that great again, because I've not found a way to spend $26,000 a weekend. So it was like the best. This is like the hangover. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was a I want to be clear. It was a great weekend. And before it was all said and done, a uh, little bit of the context and math behind it, besides all the, you know, the drinking and the partying and, and shopping sprees was I bought a car. Uh, I bought this used Toyota Camry 2002. It was 2005 and uh, had rims. You know, I had my standards. So I bought basically a used car with rims in cash. <laughs> and I was just really proud of myself. And I really thought I was doing it big, but I was actually doing it very small and irresponsible. And the probably the craziest part of that weekend, um, if you can wrap your head around it, is not the money that I spent, but the fact that I didn't think it was a big deal. I was like, yo, I just graduated school. I'm about to go out here in the industry and put everybody on their ear. Like, I'm about to make six figures. That's what you do. That's why I went to school. Like, this That's is what nothing. we hear this, about. Yeah. Yeah. And I was wrong. 
How long did so it take for you to learn you were wrong? <clears throat> it, I actually didn't stop there. So as you, as you you know alluded to in the book, the title of the book is thirty thousand dollars in debt. So you know by twenty six thousand, I still had four thousand left to go. Um, I actually bought a flat screen TV when flat screen TVs first came out, and I have to point Ooh. that out because it was three thousand oh, dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like it's not what it is re- today, guys. Yeah, like when when TVs first came out, like all things tech, technology, like they were super expensive. And I was like, that one. And I got one of those, quote unquote, zero percent interest loans. And so I got I think that one was 36 months. And so now I'm at about twenty nine thousand and I've already spent the check. I've got the car now that I likely can't afford because I've got my first job. And I'll point out here that my first job was not quite those six figures. It was $19,600. I still remember it because it was so small <laughs> and how devastated I was. And it took me six months to get that job. Like I was grateful to get any job because no one was hiring me. I was still working at, I guess I don't need to say the name of the company, but I was still working at the same job I had in college until I got that offer. So I was grateful for it. Um, and Despite all of that, so making nineteen thousand six hundred, I've got now twenty six thousand dollars in debt. That reality still didn't hit me because, as most people know, if you're living this reality or if you live paycheck to paycheck, I was able to cover the minimal payments. So it still wasn't clear to me how much debt I had. I don't even think I really knew. I never sat down and totaled all the debt. I just knew money was going out, and I was able to cover the minimums. And it just didn't seem like a big deal to me. So my aha moment was actually several years later, a couple of girlfriends departed because that particular girl actually left to go live in New York to pursue her dreams and leave me with the debt that we had jointly come up with together. She's like, you got that. And I'm like, all right, cool. Oh, and wow. so, yeah, I, I took that on. And so I have the flat screen TV now. I remember that because she tried to take it. And I was like, nah, that, that, that. <laughs> That TV is my baby. And it didn't even make any sense. It was like a spiteful thing. She's like, I'm going to take the TV to New York. I'm like, wait, are you going to ship the TV? Because you can't take it on an airplane. Oh, wow. (laughs) So anyway, we fought over this now $3,000 TV, which probably has a value of like $250. But it had sentimental value to me. I got the TV in the divorce and and the car with rims. I was going to say, did the car stay? (laughs) Yeah, I got the car with rims and the TV plus the accumulated debt uh, in the divorce. You know, so, yeah. Once again, I have my standards. Right. Real winning going on right now. I'm (laughs) hearing. It felt like a victory at the time, but maybe I should have let her have that TV. Anyway, I took that and I relocated, went a few more years. And the reality started to sit in where. Uh, what I call rock bottom in the book was I and now I have so much debt. I was looking and shopping around for another consolidation loan. I'm not getting any because my credit's in shambles. I'm not making any income or significant income. I'm working three jobs just to make ends meet. And I realized um, when I finally did get a consolidation loan offer that if they don't make this offer, I I was at a point I like most people I waited till my back was at, against the wall. I don't know how I'm going to cover the debt next month. Wow. And that was a point that I just let it get there. You could see it coming. I was struggling to pay the bills and I'm working all the time. I, I had a day job. I had a night job. I worked night shift at a hotel. Were you even <laughs> sleeping? Yeah. Yeah, it was actually a very fun, traumatizing experience. Uh, but I worked nights. Sh- I, I, I was just I just work in odd jobs. I put computers together. Um, 
I've tried selling knives door to door. Uh, I forget the name of the company, but apparently they're still taking taking advantage <laughs> of the youth. Uh, I've if you, there's a hustle out there besides Bitcoin for a get rich quick scheme, I've probably tried it, did it, or have a friend that I recommended they try or do it, so I know if it would work. And none of them did. And that's not a shot to the Bitcoin investors out there, but uh, it does seem to be the latest knives door to door sale. So I wish y'all the best of luck with that. And I'm on this phone call and they're asking me what are essentially some common sense questions to me now. They're like, well, do you know your credit score? I didn't even know how to look up my credit score. They asked me how much income I made. I had no idea because I'm working three or four odd in jobs. Oh, wow. They asked me how much debt I had. And I definitely had never sat down with that. And with each question, I just was getting sicker and sicker and more and more disgusted with myself. And they put me on hold and I, you know, I'm sitting there like, I don't want to say I cried, but maybe I did. Maybe I just don't want to admit to it. I, I you know, so this is essentially memories. your do or die moment, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. This, this, this put me on hold is if they come back and say, no, I don't oh, know snap. what I'm going to do next. Yeah. Um, they came back and they said, yes, I can't even remember the, the percentage rate that they offered me. It, it couldn't have been anything good. Um, but I didn't have any other choices. And that night I, didn't even know how. And I didn't know at that time, of course, but that was the night I was like, I'm going to figure out how to get out of debt. And I was essentially writing debt free or die trying. That is, I want to say it's a crazy story, but I actually think it's a more common story than we all know. Yeah. I think, uh, and I've seen now, and I'm not going to you know, say names or anything like that, but having gone through this experience and having the podcast and the blog, and now that I've written the book, people do, friends, you know, friends and family do reach out to me now. Like, you know, I can relate. Uh, I'm going through that right now. Yeah. Uh, they ask me these different questions, which I would have, these are just not discussions you have. No one sits around. At no the one camp. talks about <laughs> the, the bad side of things. Right. And compares all the, the cars with rims and big screen TVs that they bought over the years and how impactful it is. So I'm glad I did it. I can't say I'm glad that I went through it, but if it's being received as helpful to others, then um, um, I'm def- that's definitely what I'm here for. And that's what I like to do going forward. And you are. I mean, you, you have the book, you have the podcast, and you guys are helping people by by sharing the in- information. How did you enrich get together. And, and this is Rich Jones's co-host, guys. Yeah. And you can find Rich at I am Rich Jones for those of you on Twitter. And he's actually all over the interwebs if you want to look him up. So Rich is the HR side of the show. Rich has been in HR for about 10 years. Um, I'm actually an auditor by day uh, and I've been doing audit. I was laughing with somebody about this yesterday. I just I knew this day would come, but now I have 10 years of experience. So I'm just going to count in decades going forward. So I have a decade (laughs) of experience and I'm just going to have a decade of experience until the next decade. I'm not going to be like, yeah, I've been doing this for 12 years. Nah, that that's too emotionally (laughs) charged. Once you hit that milestone, it's it's just there. So similarly, uh, one of the stories that people like about the show is I actually worked with Rich as I talked, as you did with the introduction, I actually worked with Rich for a, um, it's not defunct, but we no longer work there. It was a relationship blog. And there was six, I think seven or eight at its prime uh, male bloggers talking about, it's called Single Black Male, talking about love and relationships, like what we were going through and pretty much ran the gamut. So we were probably ages, uh, I'd say 21 to, I think maybe at that time, the oldest was 27. And we were just sharing our experiences and essentially what we were going through. Rich was the editor for that site, which is why I bring it up. 
And that's how we originally met. And that's important because we didn't meet in person until FinCon 2016. I had never, I did, I, for a long time, I thought Rich was a catfish. He like, he just operated behind the scenes. <laughs> he was just this figure who edited my, my work. And I'm like, I didn't even know if he really existed. Catfish had just come out at this time. I'm like, man, like, I wonder the dude, like I've told people like in my head, he was like this elderly white woman who, you know, like <laughs> just fascinated with the black male demographic, but she's a really good editor. But at the, Hey, I was like, you know what? Collecting her social security checks and editing the do, blog do behind what the she scenes. Does. Yeah. So I'm like, you know what? She, she is trustworthy, uh, hasn't given me any problems. It is what it is. If she wants to go by Rich Jones, so be it. And it was funny because as you might be really able to relate and a lot of people can, like I was going to all these different conferences and people were like, yo, I met Rich because it just became this ongoing joke. Like Rich is a catfish and he would call <laughs> me a catfish. And they're like, yo, I met Rich. He exists. I'm like, whatever. He put you up to this or she put you up to this as, as far as my mind goes. And like, so all these people met us, but we never met each other uh, and we never had a reason to. <laughs> so a lot of people were like, why not? Why didn't y'all fly out and meet somewhere? I'm like, we didn't need a beer summit. Like, I don't, I, we, th that is the benefit and beauty of the internet. Like I had no reason to meet him. Like, right, because you could still stay in touch with him? Yeah. And like, he lived in New York at that time and he's actually now in California. I'm like, why am I fly to New York to like dap up some dude? <laughs> All right, that might not even have been him. Exactly. That would actually be more awkward if I told that story. I'm like, yeah, then we flew to New York, you know, gave a handshake and then we went our separate ways. So uh, that being said, so I worked with him for five years online and he reached out to me. So I went my own way with the uh, writing. Like most people, I just grew out of that particular genre of writing. I have I, I was older. I'm not dating as much. And I'm like, I don't have anything left else to add to the relationship blog genre. There is no other topic that I can cover. And if you follow that age, you know, it's about 27, you'll see that that's when I was starting to get out of debt. So personal finance was becoming interesting to me, but there was, there wasn't as wide an array of personal finance vehicles as there is now. There wasn't like nerd wallet. There wasn't uh, our blog, our website. There wasn't this personal finance community, at least not that I knew of. And so I was like, well, I'm just going to fade into the Internet. <laughs> so I just faded to black. And about a year later, I guess, uh, Rich reached out to me via email. And he's like, yo, man, I'm going to start up a podcast. We should start up a podcast. I didn't even know what the hell a podcast was. To be perfectly honest, I'm not sure I still know what a podcast is. And I'm <laughs> on one and I've been doing it for four years now. Um, so that being, I'm like, whatever, man. Like, you know, this trustworthy elderly lady. I'm like, all right, here we go again with this catfish. And right, so, still had not met him. <laughs> exactly. And so we started our first uh, podcast and we're, we're kind of trying to move away from it. So just know that we have paycheck and balances now. Um, and it was every topic under the sun. It was basically two guys like, I mean, basically, like if you pulled up to a barbershop or a bar and you're like, hey, man, what are y'all talking about? That's what we talked about on the podcast for two hours. Like we had these two and a half hour episodes where we were just, hey, what's going on in the news? Oh, man, did you hear about Beyonce? Man, do you hear what Cardi B is doing? I can't believe Offset did this. It's like that's that was our podcast. We just talk about what was on our mind. And we had started it to talk about personal finance. <laughs> now, at, at that I, time, had you finished clearing your debt? By the time we started the podcast, yes, and I was actually working on debt free or die trying. Okay. And I'd have to I'd have to put that in parentheses because I'd been working on it for years. Technically it was done, but similar to the podcast, I didn't think 
I think we both were uncomfortable with fully embracing the idea of talking about finances from week to week. Because we're like, if we don't, we kind of looked at it like the vegetables. Like if we don't sprinkle in this meat and sugar and sprinkles, no one's going to listen to the show. No one's going to tune into a show to hear two guys talk about money and finance. Nobody wants to hear about that. So we would talk about um, like entertainment and just, oh, and by the way, you know, put a debt plan together. And over on entertainment news, like we, we just kept stamping around it and it wasn't even the main point of the show yet. It is why we started the show. Um, then Rich reached out to a, I guess a marketer is the best way to describe her. And she took a listen to the show and she's like, y'all are all over the place. Y'all definitely don't talk about what you claim you're talking about. There's nothing in here. And if you did, you'd have to listen to 30 minutes. Y'all talking about everything but personal finance. And she recommended that we start up a show where that's all we talked about. And he came back with that information. I'm like, that's insane. No one's going to listen to that show. <laughs> you know what? But if you say so, I'm, I'm happy to do it. So we started. Uh, paychecks and balances, like with most things, for those of you who are on the fence about starting a podcast, or I heard about people looking at color theory and they're like really doing all this in-depth market research and analysis. <laughs> like Rich texts me while he's driving on the highway, like, yo, what do you think about like checks and balances? And I'm like, eh, it's all right. And he's like, what about paychecks and balances? I'm like, nailed it. And that was it. We had a podcast on the weekend. <laughs> like, so if you're on the fence, if you are the thing that is holding yourself back, Stop doing that. Get over it. Launch it. And I actually heard some great advice, like fail as quickly as possible so you can move on to the next great thing. Most people, unless the first thing you launch is the great thing. Most people never start because they have this uh, analysis by, um, excuse me, they have paralysis by analysis. They just keep, well, what if, what if, what right. if, and right. never act. I say that because that's the same thing I was doing with the book. I was talking myself out of releasing the book. The book was written. I had written it actually a few years earlier. I even had a few people read it. And then I'm like, man, ain't nobody going to read this. <laughs> and I pushed it to the side. Uh, and when I finally got serious about it with the paychecks and balances starting up, I was like, I'm going to finish this book. People were starting to ask about it now because I, I talked about it. People were like, yo, that's really interesting. I want it. So there was actually this peer pressure building in our community, which is why we talk about uh, accountability partners. And I finally pushed the book out. And it's been, I can honestly say, and it's hard to say this, especially as a blogger, uh, it's been, I'd say universally, at least the advice that I get to my face, uh, well received. Uh, and I say that because I, you, you write a blog and it's just, it's the nature of the internet. People are going to tear it apart. Usually they read the title. They're like, you don't know nothing. And I'm like, did you read anything in this post? Right, like, before, no, you, before you came at me. <laughs> I know the title though. And then they like, you know, they go back to it. And I knew a guy that looked like you and you know, my ex is just like you. And I'm like, I don't know that guy. Are your ex, you know, why are we having this conversation? So it was definitely a, a different experience and a positive one. I've actually written a second book now and we can talk a little bit about that if it's um, related. And I'm working on a third. What's the, so, what's the name of the second book? Uh, the second book is is a series. So that one's Debt Free or Die Trying. And I just released it. So I'm trying to remember if I had the title. But it's putting a plan together, a debt-free plan that you'll actually follow. So the first book is my story, which some people are generally interested in. But most people, as the, the title implies, are like, yo, I just want to know how to get out of debt. So True. how does this, like most millennials, are like, how does this relate to me? <laughs> and so I wrote the second book and it's just focused on the plan, putting a plan together. And really, I tell people this and I still believe it. I'll probably repeat it till uh, not to be ominous the day I die is the plan is the easy part. People think the plan is the difficult part. You can put a plan together 15 minutes, maybe an hour. 
definitely one weekend. At, I mean, that would be if you at were being most, lazy. Right. Yeah, if you were lazy and procrastinated like me, it would take you a weekend. The plan is the easy part. What people don't realize is you're going to have to stick to that plan for 24, 36, you know, 48, 60, 72 months. That's the difficult part. On Monday, when you're like, I'm going to get out of debt, New Year's resolution, New Year, New Me, that sounds good. That's easy. Mm -hmm. But 60 months from now, all the things are going to transpire, all the parties, all the cars with rims are going to drive by you, all the flat screen TVs are going to come out. They're going to release an iPhone X, an iPhone 11, you know, the King Louis iPhone is going to come out and you're going to have to resist buying it within reason if that doesn't fit in your budget. And that's when those difficult decisions come. And that's why I I try to encourage people to either have a level of self-awareness, have a community, friends, family, accountability partner, apps, Mint, Betterment, whatever, but something to get you back on that plan because you will fail or at minimum you will fall off. You'll need something to circle you back to getting back on um, that horse or plan or whatever metaphor you want as to apply. As quickly as possible, right? Right. So I got to ask, I mean, you've gone through this journey. You've erased the debt. Do you think that that slowed you down in chasing any dream you had at the time? Yes, definitely. Uh, and I, I talk about a little bit about that in the first book for the folks that are interested in the story. Uh, there's relationships that I passed on, um, even, and yeah, I, I try not to get caught up on the if, then, what if, and, and I, I wish type of things, but it's a real reality that you could argue that the uh, first woman that moved to New York left because, you know, I'm making $20,000 supporting both of us at that particular time. And I have, I actually, I'm making less than $20,000. I got $30,000 in debt. I'm 22 years old. Uh, so I couldn't really demonstrate I'm supposed to be supporting her on what? <laughs> and so, you know, at the time it hurt. Of course, you know, I'm 23 uh, by the time it ended. So I felt some type of way at that time. But now looking back with the clarity of hindsight and 12 years of additional experience, I'm like, I get it. You know, uh, I, I'm trying to tell or demonstrate to a 22 year old woman like, yo, if you just stick around 10 more years, I'm going to be making this amount of money. We'll be debt free and we'll be able to buy all the cars with rims we want. Um that's hard to convince somebody that, yeah, just trust me for 10 years. And yeah, I, another, I think I'd have a difficult time. Yeah. Um, another time, um, a different relationship or a different context, even I, I felt a guilt from that experience was like, well, I don't want to get in a serious relationship while I'm shouldering all this debt. Like I'm bringing, I'm bringing all the baggage to the relationship. Mm -hmm. I think this woman didn't have any debt. And so I'm, I'm sitting over here with, you know, at that time, more than 30,000. And I'm like, there was this guilt where it's like, well, I just feel like I'm bringing baggage. And so I definitely know. And, and there's also the opportunity cost that, um, you know, like the accountants talk about where that's $30,000 plus interest that I wasn't able to invest, that I wasn't able to put towards my future, that I wasn't able to put in a college fund for my child to be, uh, where whatever the context may be, that 30,000 is gone. And that's just something I have to accept. Whatever, uh, if you looked at it like a parallel reality, whatever reality that would have resulted from me not having that debt, which is the advice I give people, the best debt plan is to never get in debt. Uh, because once you're there, whatever reality would be different out of debt, you'll never know. Because you have to go through that, that plan to get out of debt. And that's not to be defeatist. And it, you, you, you never know that that reality is going to be better. I definitely feel that I'm more well-rounded 
more mature, more educated and a better person because of the experience. But partially it was a painful experience, not the whole time, not the entire journey. I mean, Uh, that's a good point. I mean, with with the number of realities or possibilities out there, one could say that you might have been better off if you hadn't been in debt or who's to say that you wouldn't have the experiences you have now. You know, it's that hindsight and some things we just will never know. Did you ever, while working on your debt plan, you said, you know, how a lot of us kind of fall off and the important thing is getting back on. While working through your debt plan, did you struggle with, like, did you fall off because you wanted to chase something, a chase a dream, and then just kind of allow yourself to go back on the debt plan afterwards? Actually, no, not during the plan, because uh, I think that rock bottom situation was so traumatizing. Mm. That was actually my only focus. So that's actually a cautionary tale that I tell people now. Um, so I'd say I got serious about my plan around 27. Uh, and one thing that I, I, I shared full, full disclosure, and some people can relate to this and some people can't, is I've been very fortunate that I honestly stumbled into a career where I have a secure job and frankly, a, uh, a well-paying career. Uh, and that's not, that's not, uh, like to be haughty and like, oh yeah, I'm, you know, I'm holier than now. That's just a reality that some people are like, their their salary may max out before they're able to make those types. So I was actually being very responsible in my life everywhere except for managing money because what I've learned now is a lot of smart people are still bad at managing money. We see that every day. We see that in the news. Honestly, we kind of see that in government. <laughs> uh, but we're a consumerist society. And so that's what I share with people is I wish I had struck a better balance. So while I was getting out of debt, I was so focused on getting out of debt that I was not going to weddings and baby showers. Like I was, I might've gone too. I I might've swung the pendulum too far to the other side. So I'm like, I was very minimalist. Like I'm not Mm -hmm. doing anything. And so I'm just sitting here watching life pass me by for a roughly three year period from about 27 to 30 when I got serious. Uh, I didn't do anything. And so I've seen people make that sacrifice, but that is a sacrifice that I think I went into blindly and I don't know that I would do again. It's not also one that I would recommend to others. So uh, unless they go in with their eyes wide open on seeing the type of sacrifice they're about to make, it's really difficult to, especially in this day and age, it's actually gotten worse to sit there and watch everybody on Instagram and Facebook and Snapchat and every social media like, oh, yeah, selfie, selfie, we out here. (laughs) And you're (laughs) sitting at the house eating cheese sandwiches because you're on a debt plan. (laughs) Like um, you have to choose, again, going back to those parallels, which reality is going to match your lifestyle. And I say that because people, they think it's more finite than it is that it's just black and white. Like I'm either going to get out of debt or I'm going to have fun. That's it. There's that. That's just the only choices. And I'm like, nah, you, you can do both. And in fact, you can do the latter more easily if you have a plan in place. Cause then it's just a matter of, okay, this is what I'm going to use to pay off my debt. And here's the money that I'm going to use to have fun and enjoy life or whatever is important to you. Um, so when so, you don't go ahead. So are you saying that it's a matter of, you know, keeping that in mind and budgeting? Yeah, you can do both. It can be a budget. It can even be your priority. One of the things that I recommend in the newer book is, and it's an exercise I went through at work, uh, which is why I'm glad I've I've been fortunate with the profession that I've had. 
a lot of what I apply at work as far as doing an audit, I now realize can apply to an individual as they conduct their lives. But one of those is asking the five whys. And uh, it really helps you narrow your focus on why am I going through this exercise? Uh, and you, you basically ask yourself five times. So if I want to get out of debt, why you answer that? And you can't answer that same. You can't give the same answer to that question the second time. And by the time you get to that fifth time, you probably get to the real reason. And you, you might be crying in a fetal position. You know, my mom would never let me buy things. <laughs> but whatever the case may be, you'll get down to the real answer of, well, this is why. And that's important because when I'm talking about falling off that journey or as you ask when you run into a difficult situation, you'll have five justifications for why you're doing it. Whether it's your kids, your family, yourself motivation. I want to travel in the future. I want to retire securely. I want to, you know, I want financial independence, retire early. The fire movement's really big now. Whatever the case may be, you'll have five reasons why. So you'll have to come up with at least four excuses before you fall off, or you'll have five reasons to get back on. So if someone is struggling with, with this, regardless of the severity of the debt, you know, what would you recommend they do once they've acknowledged, hey, this is something I need to address? Actually, that is step one, um, the acknowledgement. So people ask me, because this is how we operate. We, you know, we've all grown up on Disney and Princesses yep. and the, mm-hmm. the championship game. It's now the Super Bowl run. So um, we're all focused on the, the championship and the end. And we don't realize that a lot of the significant change is decision. Um, and people, until they start, especially if they're going through it now, um, they probably think I'm full of BS because it's, it's, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to you until you go through it. So that night when I was, you know, on my knees begging for a consolidation loan, the next day could have been the exact same. I, I got the loan. I could have gone out and repeated the exact same habits. The only thing that changed was I had made the mental decision that I'll never put myself in this position again. I didn't make any more money. I didn't have any more jobs. And so uh, when you make that acknowledgement, that is actually a really powerful first step. And then, as I said, step two, which is the easy part, is putting the plan together. And step three actually is self-perpetuating because it's follow the plan. <laughs> and, and that's why I would say if that was a, you know, a, a pie, actually 60% of that pie chart would be the decision. And then the other pieces would just be following the plan. Uh, and most people think it's following the plan, coming up with debt, making more money. And uh, my dad used to say this to me all the time. I thought he was crazy. But it was if you make 300000 or 30000 it doesn't matter if you don't know how to balance your money because you'll buy $30,000 toys and you'll buy $300,000 toys if you don't know how to live on the money you make. And I think that's demonstrated all around us. And it's yeah. it's, it's crazy that people... There's all these examples. So there's lottery winners that go broke again. There's, you know, you look at the football players and people in the league who once they stop having that income, they're broke or struggling or filing for bankruptcy. I think it's like as high as 60 percent in some of those leagues. So we have all these examples around us where it's actually mentally how you manage the money. And then the other turn of that is because people are going to be like, well, I just want to make as much money as possible. Well, then you'll have as much wealth as possible if you know how to manage that money. If you go ahead. No, I was just thinking, yeah, that's very true. Yeah. If you the person who makes one hundred thousand and spends 
200,000 is 100,000 debt. The person who makes 100,000 and lives on 50,000 is making 50,000 a year. He will he or she will be much richer and wealthier. Yeah. Not only quicker, but inevitably more so than the person who's spending all their money and then some, which is fundamentally what most debt and credit cards, especially credit cards are. I just tell people credit cards are when you see a deal and you're like, that's not expensive enough. <laughs> so I'm going to put it on a credit card unless you pay it off month to month. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that we we forget so easily and get caught up in. And, you know, I think for people who are trying to pursue what they're passionate about, it become we become so focused on one that we forget about the other. And I think it's a very dangerous thing. And I think what you said is actually uh, something we need to keep in mind. You can do both as long as you have a plan in place. Yeah, I and the reason, is, it, I, and I don't know, I mean, I obviously you can't speak for every listener and I can't speak for your listeners or your audience, but, you know, just going to the, the law of averages, we, the society that we are in now, good, bad, or indifferent, is consumerist in nature and we are, debt is the new normal. Like, so if you talk to the average person, if I, so for example, there's been conversations where I'm like, yeah, I have $30,000 in debt and people are like, that's all? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's all you got. That's nothing. Like I, I wish I had thirty thousand. I had thirty thousand dollars in debt ten years ago. Um, so it's a different frame of mind that you need to have and approach. Because if you try to go to your neighbor or your family member and tell them like, oh man, I got fifteen thousand dollars in debt, they're more likely to say, well, I have eighteen thousand dollars in debt, or I have twenty thousand dollars in debt, or I, you know, got a law degree, so I have a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Versus, oh, well, let's come up with a plan to get out of debt because the debt piece is accepted. Yeah. Most people never say, well, let's do different than normal, because if you want to do normal, you'll be in debt. And so it actually takes a change. That's why I say it's so important for people to realize it's a change not only in your own mindset, but you're going to be bombarded with people who don't share that mindset. Uh, and so you have to demonstrate it through either your actions and it's not good, bad or dead. I'm not judging anybody, uh, but you have to demonstrate through your actions and you have to find like minded people. And that might not be your core group and that might not be your peers. One benefit that has come from this, because people don't even didn't even know how much debt I had while I was in debt. I'm out partying and because it, it looked like I had money. I right. looked rich. <laughs> I was definitely spending yeah. like I had money. Uh, but one benefit that has come from the book now is I can be as cheap as I want because people, like, people are just like, ah, oh, Marcus is just being deficit. Like, I can just be like, oh, I'm not going to like, ah, oh, you cheap, whatever. It's actually very easy to get, it's easier for me to get out of things now than it was before because everybody's like, okay, he's written this book. This is something that's important to him. Um, so you don't have to go that far. I mean, you can, you're more than welcome <laughs> to write a book. But that being said, most of us feel that we need to convince our peers, our group around us that this is the right thing to do. I'm right and look what I'm doing. And it's, it's not about that demonstrated through the action and through the and more importantly, through the outcome. Uh, you don't need to go on social media and announce, you know, <laughs> that you're going to get out of debt. And that's that. And all y'all are beneath me. Uh, just do it. And that you demonstrating that outcome will be more important and more evident to people than you talking about it. Just be about it. No, it's very important part. Um Wow, there's so much to this. Like even just from <laughs> from your story, I'm like, there's so much involved with it. Um, but let me ask you this before we before I let you go. What is one thing people today can do who want to chase their dream but may be facing that financial burden in some way, shape, or form? 
I still think you have to go back to either having a plan or creating a plan um, because most people, they don't know what it looks like and they think they do. Um, you know, they have the dream and they have the idea, but until it is written down and you have a map um, of what that looks like, that's all it will ever stay uh, is a dream or a fantasy. And I think you have to put those steps, those tasks, those action items in place to bring it to fruition, to bring it into reality. And I, I give this example, I, I like to talk in metaphor because it's, it's easier for people to wrap their head around, mm -hmm. is Siri doesn't drive your car. And yet I check in here with her for a map. Like I know where I want to go. I know where I want to get. But if I just hopped on the highway, I'm not going to get there. <laughs> and so most people are like, well, if I put the plan, the, the plan's not going to do it for me. And they're right. But that's not what the plan is for. It tells you how to get there. And most people, if they have a dream, they haven't articulated even to themselves, how am I going to get there? And what we recommend on the show, I really don't like three year plans. There's nothing against them. I think you should have one. I, um, nothing wrong with a three to five year plan. But I especially think in this day and age, they're irrelevant. They're, they're, the change is too fluid, too quick for me to plan three to five years. My three to five year plan is only one year long and it is, here's what I want to do next year. And then it's mm -hmm. just a list. But this year I break it down in 90 day increments because 90 days I can wrap my head around. I can see what 90 days look like. I can map out exactly what I'm going to do in 90 days. I can map that out by weeks. Right. And so for, I have a whiteboard. I try to get away from calling it a vision board, but it's probably a vision board. If anybody else saw <laughs> it, it probably call it a vision board. I just don't like that because the whole secret thing and, you know, vision boards are frowned upon in some communities now basically the equivalent of Pinterest <laughs> for those who are young and don't even know what the heck a vision board is or the secret. But on it, I now have a breakdown over the next 90 days and then 90 days from there. And they all feed into one another. So if I do this from January to March, they will help me succeed in April to June. And it's important to know that because if you do what's right every 90 days, the five years will pass on their own. So you will be successful in five years if you're successful every 90 days. That's just inherent. And so I think a lot of people get bogged down by the long term. And another thing is people, it's like our future selves. Our future selves will always be the perfection. Um, it, it's like mental accounting is what I talk about on the show. You always round in your favor. Right. As I, <laughs> no matter what it is. I ask you kind of what your expenses are. You're always going to round in your favor. Heck you're yeah. Gonna, and you're going to be way off, by the way. You'll be probably 20% off. <laughs> I asked you to guess what your expenses were for the month. You'd probably be about 20% off and you're going to be under, I guarantee. And so your future self, future you is always going to do the dream. Future you is going to get in shape. Future you, even in something as simple as binging Netflix. And I did this the other day, so I'm guilty of it too. Like I was, you know, having a little nightcap watching Netflix. And I knew that if I drink a little bit more and watch one more show, I'll be tired tomorrow. I knew it. It was a fact. You know, I, I need to do. I was having a good time. I don't even remember what I was binging on. I was just in that happy place. Mm -hmm. And then I just decided, I'm like, you know what? That's future me's problem. Like tomorrow me will deal with that. Like tonight me's about to have a good time. <laughs> so, right. And I woke up the next day. Sure enough, I'm 35 years old, still making this dumb decision. I'm like, that's what I'm talking about is you're always going to round in your favor for your future self because in that particular scenario, I had no plan. I had no action. I was just like, eh, I'll deal with the consequences tomorrow. Tomorrow, That's tomorrow me's problem. That's what happens and, when you don't have a plan. <laughs> exactly. And so I think 
I would recommend that people I'd like to write it down, but I, I, that might be a lost fight. Maybe that's just the old, old man in me. So whether you write it down, you put in the app, you put it on your, your cell phone, wherever it is. I have 24. I counted the other day. I have 24 ongoing lists in my iPhone notes, and they're just little action items and things that I want to accomplish. But they can't be in your head. The limit to them cannot be in your head because you'll never get them done. Out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, exactly. Well, Marcus, thank you so much for sharing your story, the lessons you've learned, and giving some great advice for, for those who need to get a plan together. I appreciate it. Once again, guys, that was Marcus Garrett. You guys can learn more about Marcus and his book and find all the links we mentioned today at amyj21.com slash episode 129. That's episode 129. Thank you once again to our Patreon sponsors. We would not still be going if it weren't for you guys. Your donations and support mean the world to me. Thank you so, so much. If you'd like to donate or learn more about our Patreon campaign, please visit amyj21.com slash Patreon. Every little bit helps. All right, guys, until next time, keep chasing. Thank you so much for listening to Chasing Dreams. Amy would love to connect with you and hear all about your pursuit of chasing your dreams. Connect with her on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram via at Chasing Dreams HQ. Or you can find Amy on Twitter at AmyJ21. That's A-I-M-E-E-J-2-1. Be sure to visit headquarters over at ChasingDreamsHQ.com for more inspiration, motivation, and resources to help with your own dream chase. We hope you'll join Amy next week. And until then, keep chasing. Chasing.